are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Becca's season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. Welcome to podcast number 79. I am your host, Reality Steve. And we have an interesting podcast for you today. This is unlike anything I've ever done. I know I've been teasing this one for a good week when we recorded this. And I just want to to fill you in on a couple things here that um you know, this is this is real. And you're going to um I mean, you're you're going to in this podcast Meredith reveals for the first time a story of an alleged sexual abuse that happened to her while she was The Bachelorette, which was season two. You're going to hear in this podcast that I am pretty stunned by this story. There's a lot of dead air, a lot of me stumbling around because I really don't know what to say next. Um, there's a lot of... Meredith is very deliberate in the way she speaks. She's very... Um, thoughtful. I think she puts a lot of thought into what she says. So it's a lot slower moving than past podcasts where it's just, Hey buddy, Hey, fire question and the answer. And it's just a great convo back and forth. This is an excellent conversation. It just moves a lot slower. Um, Meredith is just more meticulous in the way she speaks and that's fine. That's the way she is. Um, Meredith did not reveal the name of the alleged perpetrator in this. So there's really no way for me to confirm the details on that. But as with any story, we're only hearing one side. I would encourage everyone to hear, to keep an open mind until all sides of the story are told, if they are. Uh, that being said, I'm glad Meredith was able to share her story. I wasn't there. I don't have any reasons to doubt her. I don't see what she has to gain uh, by lying to me. So with that said, I do want to also mention that there were there is a portion of this interview about 50 seconds to a minute that had to be edited to remove people's names to protect their privacy that's all that was done everything else you will see certainly wasn't edited because like i said there's a lot of dead air and some awkward pauses and some awkward exchanges and i'm very upfront with some of the things that i ask her and she's very upfront even more so with her answers but uh, there is about a minute that had to be edited out to remove people's names because uh, we're going to protect their privacy. So, But you will hear when the story takes place. You'll know it. And uh, Meredith is um, very forthcoming and very open and honest uh, about something she alleges happened to her when she was filming The Bachelorette, which filmed in... October and November of 2003 and aired in January and February of 2004. So without any further ado, here it is. Former bachelorette number two, Meredith Phillips. Okay, let's get going with today's guest. You remember her originally from Bob Guinea's season of The Bachelor, which was season four of The Bachelor. She then went on to become our second bachelorette after Trista Sutter. Sutter's. Trista Sutter. 
It's Meredith Phillips. Meredith, how you doing? Thanks for coming on. Hi, I'm doing well. Uh, Thanks for having me on. No, no problem. Um, you know, let's talk. Uh, there's. It's funny because when I contacted uh, you to originally come on, I was amazed at how little there is of you on the internet. You've kind of just fallen off the map, and so there's a lot of holes I want uh, to see if we can get filled in. But let's let's go back to your original Bachelor story, which was season four of The Bachelor with Bob Guinea. There had been three previous Bachelor seasons. Had you watched any of those, and, and how did you get cast for Bob's season? For Bob's season, um, I was cast um, because my roommate at the time, I was out of the country, actually, and I had no idea. She was a talent agent for a modeling agency that I was with. And she just, she sent my info in and I didn't know it. And all of a sudden I get back from my European trip and there was a lot of messages when there was actual answering machines back then. Yeah. So... Um, from ABC wanting me to come in for some interviews and, you know, I talked to my family extensively about, you know, do I want to do this? Is it going to hurt my career? Um, you know, I, in the end, I felt like I was a strong enough person to actually tell my story and be on camera. And, you know, it's not something that I wasn't not used to. So, um, it was definitely an experience that it basically was. Why not? Yeah. Had you watched any of the previous three seasons? Did you even know who Bob was? I did know who Bob was from, cause my mom watched it. Okay. So, <laughs> um, I knew, I mean, obviously I did watch it, but not like religiously, like some people did. Um, I knew who he was, but I didn't know what he was about. Um, so just on physical appearance, was he someone that you were like, Hey, that's someone I could be into or, or whatever. Or when you were going through the process and going through the application process, did you even know it was going to be him? Cause that back then it was a lot different than how it is now. Um, did you know the um, whole time you were applying that it was going to be him or no? I had no idea who it was going to be. Oh, okay. No one. Like, um, so, I mean, when I did find out who it was, I mean, I'm definitely not a person that is, I mean, I'm very visual as an artist, but, yeah, you know, personality goes a long way, and Bob has a great personality, and... One that can make you laugh, and you know he's very charismatic. Once so that goes a long way with me. So once filming started, you start getting more involved, and dates start, and you start going out on dates and stuff like that. How were your feelings towards him then? Were you becoming more attracted to him, less attracted to him? Well, I think there's a there's a dynamic of whether you are or you aren't. It's you're with all these other women, you know, so it becomes kind of a challenge in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely had a hiccup 
obviously. Um, they nominated me to go on the first date with Bob, which I thought was kind of odd and nice at the same time. But the producers and my grandmother had passed away uh, that very night. So oh. my mom, they had called my mom and I didn't know they were filming uh, or taping all of this. Um, so there was that aspect of it that I didn't really enjoy because that was, you know. What were they taping you doing? On a, on a phone call with your mother? Yeah. Um, basically, everyone thought it was because the phone rang and we're not, we can't have phones. So yeah. all of a sudden there was a phone. We're like, oh, that's weird. And so someone answered it and they're like, it's for you. And they're like, oh, it must be Bob. It must be Bob. And it was actually my mom and telling me that my grandmother had passed away. So. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, your season was 14 years ago that it aired. So it's hard to remember small details like that. But I did not realize that's what they did. Um, yeah. And so you did it, not end up going on the date with him? I did end up going on the date with him because my mom said, you know, just go. And we went to Seal Beach and it was, <laughs> I think Michael Carroll was a part of that, um, building this huge sand castle, like, place for us to sit in and have dinner. And it was pretty cool. But I was also, they were really mad that I had told him uh, when I got in the limo. I had a a window of time where no one was filming and I did tell Bob what happened. And so he did know and they were pissed off that they didn't capture that moment, but I didn't feel like they needed that. So. Gotcha. Seal beach. That's where I grew up. How about oh that? yeah. Yeah. Seal beach. Um, so the season goes on and, um, was there any point where you felt sometime during the season, I don't know if it was beginning, middle, end, where you either felt, hey, I'm really into this guy. I could see myself married to him or I'm just not feeling it? Um, I definitely felt that he let me go at the correct time. Um, because I knew the other girls were really into him and our relationship was more just friends and it just wasn't really going to go from there. And I didn't, I didn't want to really pursue it. So it happened the way it happens for a reason. And I'm glad about that. I was going to say, you made it to, you made it to hometowns. So you made it to final four, you where Bob met your family. And so you basically, from what you just said, you just assumed you were, that's when you were getting eliminated and that's when you did and you were fine with it. I was definitely fine with it. And did you think he was going to eliminate you? You were pretty. Certain. I I was not sure about that. I didn't know if he was going to play it safe or if he just wanted to get laid or, you know what I mean? You never know. Oh, yeah. No, it's certainly. It's like, okay, well, I didn't want to go that that route. So I'm like, I'm glad that he kind of sent me on my way. What's interesting is that in all these years, 
there's been an interview. Mike Fleiss did an interview years ago. I want to say six or eight years ago where he talked about sex on the show. And he said, yeah, I think, uh, I think Bob Guinea's our leader. I think Bob has had the most sex. And he said five and a half women. Mm-hmm. Can, can you clarify this? How, how, first off, I don't know how you sleep with half a woman. I don't know what that is. I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know what half is considered. I don't know if half was considered to him oral sex. I don't know. But from what you know, how is is what Mike Fly said accurate? Or was he trying to get a rise out of people when he said that? Um, I'm not really quite sure. Um, <laughs> I, there's honestly nothing would surprise me. I, you know, the overnight dates are, you can take it or leave it. Yeah. That's for sure. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, if there's only three left, if you sleep with all three, then, you know, how, how do you I, get guess to five? I guess you're batting a hundred. <laughs> yeah. And then how do you get to five? And I don't, and Fleiss never really went into detail on it. I don't know if he was talking about total, like maybe after he broke up with Estella, he went back and slept with someone else from your season. I don't know. I mean, I, I, he made it seem like it happened during the season. Like this guy slept with five and a half women during the season, which I don't, I don't know. It could have been a producer. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't put it past that. Oh. Or, when I was on there. Yeah. So you never know. And you know what's funny? When I was when I was doing a little research on your season and trying to I mean your any video has really been scrubbed from the internet. There's really not a lot of info out there or video footage of your season, Bob's season out there and even your season of the Bachelorette, which we'll get into, but I totally forgot that Mary Delgado was top four on Bob's season. I and then mm-hmm. she, she who for those who don't remember, who went on to compete and win season six with Byron, I just totally forgot that she was the Final Four girl, and her and Kelly Joe and Estella were Bob's Final Three after he had eliminated you. So that was interesting. I totally, I totally blanked on Mary. I knew she came from her previous season, but I forgot it was Bob's. So I apologize for that. Um, well, I apologize to Mary. Mary, if you're listening, sorry about that. Uh, so <laughs> how were you – so once – you get eliminated at hometowns and moving on to the bachelorette. How soon after you were eliminated on Bob's season, were they bringing up possibilities of bachelorette to you? Um, well, Kelly Joe was actually picked before me. Everything was, um, suited for her i mean all wardrobe she had been fitted and all of a sudden um some head abc people said we're gonna put the kibosh on that and we want meredith so that was weird just in general um and i did talk to kelly joe and her mom on the phone and i said are you okay if i do this because i'm not gonna take this away from you And this is what ABC is telling me. And so I had to get totally refitted for clothing because obviously Kelly Joe is a lot shorter than I am. And so that happened. So, I mean, what I was told was that my season was the quickest it's ever been shot, which I did feel that. 
by the way. I mean, it was a whirlwind. And, but I did make sure with Kelly Joe and her mom that if this was okay and if Kelly Joe still wanted it, I would refuse it. What was the reasoning they gave? Uh, ratings. That Kelly Joe just didn't rate well when she was on screen? I, you know, you never know. I mean, it, that was the what what I was told okay. was ratings. So I'm not sure about numbers or you know anything specific. Um, but and so that so it wasn't even brought up to you until it was a no on Kelly Joe. Like it wasn't they weren't keeping you around. Like hey, we might be interested in having you. It was just like hey, by the way, now no, all of a sudden, it was basically like, we want you now. Okay, and it was literally. I had two weeks to prepare to get, you know, outfitted and yoga instructor, and that was it. All of a sudden, it was just, okay, here, I was here, gonna, here you go. I was going <laughs> to ask you, from the time they told you that till the time you started filming, how long was it? And you, you say it was two weeks? Yep. That's crazy. If not, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> So you really didn't go through any sort of process where you met with a bunch of people or whatever. They just said, it's going to be you. You didn't sit through meetings and they were weighing, well, should we go with Meredith? Should we go with Kelly Joe? Do we have any other options? It was just like, hey, it's you. We're going to go with you. And you hadn't interviewed technically for it. Uh, there was no interview, nothing. It was just like, okay, if you want this, we need you. And you're going to be the next Bachelorette. So after and- Kelly Joe said... Gave you the go-ahead. Were you at any point like, okay, she she says it's cool for me to do it. She's fine with it. Did you have trepidations about doing it? I did. Uh, especially because, I mean, I mean, I have nothing to hide. But, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was okay with my family. Yeah. Um. Because putting yourself out there and, you know, you never know what they're going to dig up. Nothing like my family doesn't have anything to hide, but it's, you know, it's still like I got to make sure that everyone's okay with this. Yeah, I mean, this isn't and they were and they all were. They were all cool with. All right, let's go ahead and do this. Pretty much. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and talk to you about four hymns. Ladies, this is for your guy. And if you're a guy and you're listening to this, this is for you. It's easier to keep that hair you have than replace the hair that you've lost. Take it from fourhims.com, a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men with medical-grade solutions, real doctors, well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions that can help you keep your hair. Fourhims.com offers men easier, more affordable access to the prescriptions, products, and medical advice that they need. These aren't herbal supplements. These are prescription solutions backed by science. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits where you're like, oh, who's going to see me when I walk into this place? Save hours by going to 4hims.com. Just answer a few quick questions, then a doctor will review and can prescribe you, and everything will be sent directly to your door. I've had people that have tried this out. They said it's very non-invasive, very easy to do. Like I said, you go to the website, you fill out a couple questions, or answer a couple questions, and everything is tailored to your very needs. Our listeners will get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 today, right now while supplies last. See website for full details. 
This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went directly to a doctor or a pharmacy. Go to 4 slash reality. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash reality. 4 slash reality. Let's get back to Meredith Phillips uninterrupted for the remainder of the podcast. And you filmed at the end of 2003 because your series ran from January, ran in January and February of 2004. Um, so you filmed at the end of 2003. This was 15 years ago. So I know. That's crazy. Cr- crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> and the fact that you said earlier they told you it was one of the t- quickest seasons that they filmed. Do you remember how long filming lasted from the time of that first night until you were done? Uh, I believe it was less than two months because I know it is around two, two and a half months when they film. So, I mean, they were trying to get this done and everyone felt pressure. I don't know if Michael Carroll has talked about it, but everyone was just drinking a lot and, you know, the stress was incredible and... You know, back then, it's like we were just all tired constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I, right now it takes about eight weeks, seven and a half to eight weeks uh, to film a full season. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're looking at you were definitely quicker. And the turnaround time was obviously uh, pretty quick as well. Did you have any idea? I mean, obviously you were on The Bachelor, but. Being in the lead role is a little bit different. Did you have any idea what you were getting into? Um, I think so. I mean, definitely just from my career as being a model and being in commercials and, you know, so I had a little bit of stage presence. Um, but no, I didn't expect what the outcome was. I... I really honestly didn't think I was going to find anybody. Hmm. And then that all changed when I met Ian. Yeah. To say the least, you meet Ian on the first night. Uh, he's one of the 20, one of your 25 guys. And it seems like you guys hit it off immediately. Um, you gave Ian the first one-on-one date of the season. And I don't know if you know this, but Becca's season is season 15 of The Bachelorette, so seasons 3 through 14 have all come and gone. And you are the last season, in fact, you're the only Bachelorette season that the winner came, the winner was the guy who got the first one-on-one of the season. Although season 15, which just wrapped, is still up in the air. (laughs) We may or may not know that it could be a possibility for Becca's season, but uh, going over past seasons and looking at Jen Sheft and Deanna and Jillian and Allie, Ashley, Emily, Desiree, Andy, Caitlin, Jojo, and Rachel, none, none of those guys that – none of those girls who – none of their first one-on-one dates of the season ended up winning, which I thought was interesting. So you obviously had something for Ian right away. How bad was it for him? Um, It was – well, it was difficult for me – well, that's what I meant. How, uh, how bad did you have it for him, I guess, is the way I should have phrased that question. Well, it was different in the way that I fixed his tie. I, you know, when he stepped out of the limo because it was a little bit askew and 
I just remember feeling like, uh oh, <laughs> like with those dreamy eyes. I'm like, oh, Lordy. I mean, I have to keep my options open, and I am at the end of the day making a television show. <laughs> so, um, you know, they they started uh, getting a little frustrated with me because I that's who I chose. And so I had to, you know, kind of be open and to other options, but he had my heart from the minute he stepped out the limo. So you knew the first night you knew the limo entrance that you were picking in. I had a really good inkling that, yes, that was, I mean, obviously my first choice. Yeah. And so obviously we know that you have to, you sign a contract (laughs) to produce a television show and you kind of have to go on all these dates with other guys and you have to not only go on dates with them, but you have to show interest. Cause even if you go on a date and you're just like, yeah, uh uh-huh, cool. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, people are going to know, you know, people are going to know that, okay, well she obviously isn't in him. Um, Right. But by no means was I ever miserable or, you know, like, Oh, this is horrible. I mean, I definitely, I kept my options open because as you get to know people, you know, I mean, maybe it could have changed, but you know, Ian and I were, uh, I don't, we just clicked in a definitely a kinship way that I can't really describe. And that's why after the show, I just kind of disappeared because it was real. Did, was it something, was he your type physically that you had in the, in the past? Was it, um, his demeanor, what was it that drew you to him before, think, before you even knew him, obviously, because you said it was right away. You were just, it was so- his, his, he just had like a softness about him and an intellect that spoke volumes. He also had, uh, to me, some very sad eyes, um, about, <laughs> You know, I mean, I know that he lost his mom early and, you know, there's that aspect of it. And I don't know, we just had, to me, it felt like we had a lot to talk about. And I I knew that he found that hard on camera to do which I wasn't going to coax it out of him because I really cared about him. And I'm like, don't say anything that you really don't want, you know, your, the people that you've worked with in the past in New York to hear. So. And how was the, I mean, once filming got started, how was it for you? Obviously there was probably, like you said, it was very rushed. It was a lack of sleep. Um, But as, being in the lead role as opposed to being a contestant, one of 25 girls on Bob's season, how was it for you as the lead? Um, very lonely, actually. Uh, you know, you think that it's all like glamorous because you live in a mansion, but there's cables and there's equipment around everywhere and constant people coming in and out of your room and you know you're never alone so it's 
that was difficult. Yeah. Just to not have any time for myself to think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because at the end of every day, you're meeting with some producer and filming a, you know, an ITM, confessional, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And you're having to talk about your feelings every single day. And, you know, at the time it was still, this was only the second season. So they were probably still getting their feet wet on how do we do this and how do we exactly. produce people. Did you feel any of that? Like you were being oh, produced I definitely differently? Did. I mean, I, we definitely, for the most part, were like, okay, how are we going to do this? <laughs> like, they would give me kind of a script for, you know, like, hey, one-on-one dates, you know, like to videotape. And so the guys would see that. And so they're like, do you think this sounds good? I'm like, I'm not going to say that. I'm like, I'm definitely not going to say that. I'm like, can I change that? <laughs> like, they were they were I'm not gonna, t- telling you yeah. what to say? Well, yeah, for sure. I'm like, I let's switch this up because I'm not going to say that. I would never say that as a normal person. <laughs> like, that's cheesy. Can you remember one line? Or any- oh, geez. I'd have to think about it. But for the most part, I remember it was a Chad date and – it we were driving the Maserati and I felt so stupid for saying what I said. I'm like, really? I'm like, I have to change this. I'm like, I'm just going to, I started laughing the whole entire time. I couldn't do one take because <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. I'm like I would never say this. So I'm like, I got to change it up. And so finally they were like, okay, change it up. <laughs> Thank you. Which I'm sure they don't do now. Well, that's debatable. I mean, it, it, I I think they co. I think the people now are just a little more. Um, they just know that they kind of need to play the game, and it sounds like you weren't willing to play the game at all times, and meaning, kind of go along with what they say. And hey, will you do this for us? Will you say this for us? Or how does this date sound? Or whatever. And you kind of have to play the game. And I think a lot more do it now than than used to because, like yeah. we said, this is. This is in the early I going. Was, I was, I was difficult. I mean, I will say that just because this is my life. It's my, you know, everyone who I care about. I mean, is going to see this, and I'm not going to say something that isn't true to me. Did you so, li- did you like your producers? Yes, very much so. Michael Carroll, Haley, Jason Carbone. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of other people. Lisa, not uh, Lisa Levinson, but there was the other Lisa. Oh, I don't, I don't know who that one would have been. Uh, I think she went to soaps after that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I think we were pretty much a family at that point, almost too much of a family because that's we all spent so much time together that it was getting a little ridiculous. And I'm and I'm sure that, or maybe I'll just ask you, most of that cast or crew, I should say, had just worked with you. You were probably familiar with them from Bob's season, right? And they all came back for your season. Correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so you knew a lot of people and... Yeah, uh, it was it was easy for you to go. It was easier for me to say yes to being the bachelorette because everyone was still on board. So my next question would be, what was the hardest thing that you had to deal with as the bachelorette? 
Uh, well, besides being always really tired and some of the producers were, how do I say this? Um, helpful, but not helpful. Um, in terms of trying to make me relax. Um, meaning what, if you don't mind me asking? Um, well, normally wouldn't really talk about this, but I'm going to tell you because it's bothered me for years and I know another friend of mine who was currently working on the show felt the same experience that that I did um, about getting roofied and in a hot tub and kind of accosted uh I don't even know really how to respond to that. Um, <laughs> as the bachelor, as the bachelorette, this show is filming. Yes. And you were roofied by a producer. Um, by a masseuse that a producer hired. Um, that to come into my room and to give me a massage and she said okay i'm gonna give you a pill and i'm like okay well i just assumed it was like an aspirin or you know something to loosen up my back or tylenol or something and it definitely wasn't that that's for sure the last thing i remember is she got naked and she was in the tub with me and rubbing my back and rubbing areas that probably she shouldn't have and then i was put in bed i uh, woke up naked don't remember much and then the next day continues i, was, I wasn't even drinking so uh, yeah and you wake up the next day and it just business as usual hey you got a date today go film a date like do you remember yes. how far along in the so i'm assuming well, I don't know. I don't want to assume anything. Was filming still in L.A. at this point? Had you or, or traveling had begun? No, still in L.A. Okay, so still in the early episodes. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm stunned. Uh, and you're saying well, that so you're, you're, I am too. Yeah, I mean, this, I, is, this is hard for me to talk about because I haven't. I mean, I think I've put it somewhere else in my brain so when you're you know when you bring this up it's it's definitely right there in the forefront as we're speaking so i remember everything until a certain point and when the pill kicked in i literally couldn't even move my body so i have no idea what the pill was at all but all i know was i was told that this will make you feel better. I don't even know if you can go back and put yourself in that position 
15 years ago. But well, I can see it right now. Yeah, I mean, I but when you woke up the next day, I, there had to be a part of you that was like, I'm out of this. I want out. I'm not I'm not continuing this show. I was just essentially violated, right? I mean, true. Uh there definitely was a part of me that was like, I don't want to be a part of this. That's for sure. But I am also the kind of person that finishes what she starts. So it's, there was that. And I obviously couldn't end it. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess you're contractually obligated to, but put it this way. Nobody would have thought any less of you if you just somehow broke that contract or whatever. I mean, I guess it's just, I, I don't even, um, I don't even know how to segue out of that. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I feel awful. Um, when we get to a little bit later on, I I have some questions in regards to stuff that happened to you post show, and and I'm wondering, you know, now hearing this, if that played a role or not. Um, gosh. Uh, I, I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, I appreciate you sharing that story with the audience. And, you know, obviously, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's okay. I mean, it, it definitely, <laughs> it's a big deal. I mean, it's a huge it deal. Is, it is a huge deal. I have worked through it. Um, maybe throwing it in the back of my mind just because it was nothing. Like I had no control, zero. I think that was the hardest part for me that I couldn't even lift my arms to say no. (laughs) Did you ever, did you ever, I mean, you had to work with this person the rest of filming. Did you ever talk to them about it? Did you ever say something like, what the fuck was that last night? Um, I didn't speak of it um, until later because I felt that it was really weird at the time and I felt violated. So I didn't know what to say or how to say it or, I mean, how do you bring that up? That's just weird. Because most of the other crew didn't know that this masseuse was coming in to give me a massage, you know. So most people didn't know. Yeah. Where did this happen? Like it in- happened. <clears throat> it happened in my bedroom at the time. The mansion was very close to Michael Jackson's house. Uh, like Neverland so, Ranch, that place? The one that he had in the valley. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't so know. he had two places. Okay. And so there was always helicopters going around. And so we always had to stop filming because he was obviously being interrogated for something, which was sad. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I can still see the place. It wasn't the 
most beautiful place. That's for sure. Okay, maybe I'm... They hired me a masseuse to come in to massage my body. Yeah. And I was given a pill, which I thought was Tylenol. Evidently, that was not the case. So when I couldn't move my body, when she drew me a bath and got in with me naked, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move my limbs, let alone even smile. I probably was drooling. So I don't know what I was given. Hmm. Okay. Um, let me pause this real quick. Okay. Um, I, Meredith, thank you for telling that story. That could not have been easy. Um, I, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm disgusted that it happened to you. I'm kind of sick to my stomach and don't really know how to react. And yeah, it was 15 years ago, but Jesus, that that's, that doesn't make it better. I mean, I, like you said, this is something that was probably stored away and you, something you didn't probably ever want to bring up again or, or whatever. But I, I, I think it's brave of you to, to talk about it and to bring it out there. Well, thank you, because I have kind of held it in for a long time, because in a weird way, I wanted to protect the franchise, which is fucked up, um, because of all the people that I got along with, the producers, and for the most part, and then this one producer that, you know, it's like... I mean, I can't stand up to that. I mean, I'm just the talent at this point. Yeah. So. I mean, that's just a, uh, just an, an un, a no win situation for you. Um, no. But now that it's out there, um, you know, maybe something will come of it and maybe something will get changed because. I hope so, because I would hate to know that that happened like to any woman in general. I mean, that's, of course. I mean, I guess I feel like I should have known better, but I trusted these people. And I was so tired most of the time that I was just, I trusted. And so in my years after my trust level with people have diminished um, because of it. And you can't be blamed for that. Anybody's would. Um, there's really no easy segue. Uh, I mean, we, <laughs> we, we've talked about that for the last 15, 20 minutes, probably it's out there now. Um, hopefully things change. Let's, let's continue with this interview because you do have an interesting story post show. First off, <clears throat> you obviously end up choosing Ian in the end over Matthew Hinkle. Was, as you said, look, it was Ian from the beginning. But as you went through the dates and as you got to dating Matthew, uh, was he somebody that you were like, wow, he really surprised me. I, I, I like him a lot more than I thought I would. Or at the end, was it still like, yeah, Matthew, nice guy, but Ian all the way. 
How, how difficult was the final decision for you? Well, I was pretty much they're like, you got to keep your options open. And I, I mean, Matthew, an amazing person. I just felt for me at that time, a little green, like he, I mean, had a heart of gold and still does. I know he's happily married and has a couple kids and I just never wanted to hurt him, and I did in the end, which didn't make me feel great at all. Yeah. Um, but that's part of what it is, you know. I did a uh, I, I I I googled some stuff from your season, and I found a, a kind of a summary of what happened in your finale, and you told. I have the quotes that what you told Matthew at the final rose ceremony. You you said you are a wonderful man. You've been nothing but open and loving and taking care of me. My family loves you. I love your family. There's nothing I don't love about you, but there's a, but, and the, but is I feel more strongly for someone else. I'm so sorry. I mean, that's about as, that's about as good of a breakup as you can give somebody. Honestly, like you did not, you, you told him how you felt about him. You told him how you felt about his family, but Hey, there's just someone I care about more. And that was pretty impressive that you gave that speech because probably wasn't easy to do, but, um, it was definitely not easy to do because I did care about him. I mean, I have thought about those two for, I mean, I still think about those two. I mean, it's a weird dichotomy of how much I appreciated Matthew and sitting on his porch in Texas and with his family and, you know, and just easy living. And then there's Ian that is, you know, Wall Street, New York. I lived across the street from him, which I didn't even know at the time when I was living in New York. Wait, what? Before the show, yeah. you were living across the street from Ian? Yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, 6th and B, he was living across the street from me. Oh, I, did, <laughs> I, I didn't know that either. I didn't know you were living in New York at the time. I didn't realize that. Uh, this was er, obviously earlier when I was living in New York, so. Gotcha. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, he lived across the street, like literally across the street from me. I mean, I could walk over and say hi. <laughs> so you obviously chose Ian, and and Ian's thing throughout the whole course of the season, you kind of brought it up earlier when you said that he was maybe sometimes not as open in front of the cameras, and not everybody is. It takes getting used to. Back in 2003, you know, it was probably even harder because reality TV was still in its infancy at that time. And there was this struggle that Ian... I think he, I had read a post-show interview where he said, I never had any intention of proposing. And I think he might have, did he ever tell you that during filming that he's like, look, if you choose me, I'm, I'm not going to propose. But in the end, he ended up doing it. Is that how it went down? Or did you not think he was going to propose? Or you just, and you guys, you were just going to choose him and you were going to date? Or how did you feel? 
Well, I had no idea what he was going to do, but I do know that Jason Carbone, who was my producer that I trusted at the time, gave him the fear of God and said, just give her the fucking ring. Just give her the ring. And you, and, found, you find this out after the fact once you and Ian are a couple. He, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ian tells uh, you this, or how'd you find out? I, I knew after the fact, um, which... Was, I mean, I know that Jason was just trying to protect me and possibly, you know, just as a piece to sell at some point. But, I mean, I, I didn't ask him to do that. I didn't want him to do that. But he was definitely looking after me. And so I don't know what exactly he said to him in the limo before he came in obviously i mean when a man gets down on two knees he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> i didn't i didn't realize he even got <laughs> down on two knees <laughs> he did he did oh. I, yeah i felt a little weird about it i'm like get up <laughs> you see the tape i'm like just one just one knee um I okay. Um, so you choose Ian. You guys date. Was there ever a part of you, or you guys engaged couple? Um, was there ever a part of you that thought I should have chosen Matthew? Sure. Um, I say sure because it would have been safer, and. I do think about that from time to time. I He's an amazing person. He's an amazing man, uh, just in general. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because they did play the, okay, safe card. Ian's not the safe card. So which one are you going to pick? So they had to, they were writing a story. And... You know, at the time in my life, I I picked what I knew, which we had a lot in common in New York and Chicago and all of that. So it just made more worldly sense to me to pick in. But he was the riskier pick of the two. That's what they said, Yes. I'm even reading a headline from after your season. It said, Bachelorette Meredith Phillips chooses Vagabond Ian McKee, an ABC series finale. Vagabond. They really use that word, Vagabond? Yeah, they called him a Vagabond. Oh, my gosh. He is so not that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you film at the end. So you get engaged in real time, end of 2003. So November? Was it before Thanksgiving, I'm assuming? Right before Thanksgiving is when it happened? Yes. Okay. It airs January through February of 04. When did you move in with Ian? We moved in together pretty much right away. Um, it was, and we were on the hunt. I mean, I had a Hollywood apartment and 
So we ended up moving down to Marina del Rey, uh, which is, what, 30 minutes south. And his buddy had lived there, so that's where we ended up. And we lived there for, I mean, we were gone in Brazil for two months of that. Oh, after after the show had aired, you guys went to Brazil for vacation? Uh, we did. Okay. We did go to Brazil for two months, and that was an amazing experience for me. Um, obviously, something that I was wanting other than Texas. Yeah. Oh, it makes it makes sense. Um, so you and Ian date. You're engaged for a year. During that year, was there serious wedding planning going on, or were you just enjoying being an engaged couple that got to travel and needed to get to know each other more, or were there plans in store for a wedding? Um, I was trying for plans. There, on his part, didn't seem like there was any rush. Which was okay with me because we were together. So, you know, I mean, I don't think that getting married just because people want you to, I mean, it's it's my life and it's his life. So we're going to do what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, I was always worried that he was going to back out, which he did. And that's okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to be married to him if he didn't want to be married to me. When did it end between you two? Uh, We were sitting out on the deck at Marina Del Rey. I told him to go to the uh, therapist that um, they have from the show. I said, will you please go talk to her and figure this out? Because I think that we can figure this out. And he did talk to her and came down and we were on the, on the river that day. And he said, I know now more than ever that this isn't for me. And I was devastated. I'm like, okay, but Lisey's honest. I guess gets credit for that. Obviously, like you said, you wouldn't want to marry somebody who didn't want to marry you or was just doing it out of pressure because of a television show. Um, But nonetheless, you were hurt by it. I mean, Uh, devastatingly hurt. I mean, did you try and reconcile after that? Did you guys keep in touch or was it a clean break? I tried everything that I could to almost to a fault. And I felt like, oh, my God, I'm not being myself. I'm a strong woman, and now I'm just, like, begging this man to stay with me. And and it wasn't just because of the show. It was because I actually really loved him. So then I had to take a second look at myself of what do I want. And so I said, okay, let's we're going to let go. And... That was it. Have you ever kept in touch with him since? 
I have uh, my little family friends because I don't have a lot of family friends. I don't have a lot of family. So, but they do keep in touch with him. He is living in Brazil, which where he should be. I know he's dating someone. I don't know if he's married. Hopefully he is. I mean, he needs to be taken care of. And although he would say he doesn't, but. Hmm. When was the last time you spoke to him? Do you remember? Uh, It was that day, actually, when I was sitting on the yeah, when I was sitting on the water, and uh, no, that's not true. Because now that I'm thinking about it, because he went to Brazil, he came back, and he had like a fever of like 102, and he was actually living with one of the housemates that was on the show, and he came over and was just so sick. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to love you to death, but it's like, get out or (laughs) are you going to stay forever or what? Kind of a weird situation. And so that was essentially the end of once he moved out after the sickness, that was pretty much the end of it. Never saw him or talked to him ever again after that. Nope. Um, may seem like a weird question. Maybe not. Um, are you still in love with Ian? There will always be a part of me that is in love with Ian. Always. I mean, there, from what we had, and I know that he would say the same thing. Hmm. How we didn't work is probably because we were young and on the show and it's a different, there's a weirdness about it, but yeah, I, I can say yes. Ever thought of reaching out to him? Uh, no, unless he, I mean... Sure. I don't know. You're asking me some hard questions. Well, I mean, you're still in love with him or you, you know, like I said, you always have love for him. If he's a, I granted he's in Brazil and you're in Oregon. I mean, there would have to be some concessions made, but it sounds like, and it could be a bit of nostalgia. I mean, this was over 10 years ago, but you know, I don't know. I've just thrown it out there that, I just want him happy and like he, him and I had a really beautiful relationship, which that's why a lot of people don't know our story is because I didn't allow it and I didn't want it to be on social media because then it's just like being not real yeah and back then in the second season of the bachelorette there just wasn't the coverage that the show gets now with the tabloid coverage i mean there was tabloid coverage back then but there was no instagram there was no twitter there was no facebook back then um god you're aging me (laughs) (laughs) um 
Okay. Well, I mean, look, you just don't, you don't close the door on anything, and who knows what can happen in the future with that. Um, you just never know. I mean, uh, he, but he is in Brazil. It would be kind of tough, but there's nothing wrong with reaching out, saying, hey, was thinking about you. If you're ever back in the States and you want to meet up, it would be great. He's an amazing man. He is a complicated man, and he's an intelligent man. So, you know, which all things that I appreciate. Was he just not ready to get married, and that's why he ended it? Did he Did he feel like you were there to get married, and he wasn't, so I got to get out, because I don't want to drag uh, you along in this? I did tell him that, I'm like, we don't have to do this. I mean... We don't have to do this. He 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 felt after the therapy sessions that I wasn't the right one. Um, I looked a lot like his mother, who was Swedish, and so it was weird for him. I guess it's a spitting image. Huh. I have seen a photo, and he is correct on that. Huh. I've never, I've never heard about that. Uh, okay. Well, it's, so it's, it's, it's I'm like it's, okay. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be an interesting reason for ending it with somebody, but whatever. Um, like you said, uh, it's nothing but love for him there, and you wish him the best. And it's just it's it's interesting because even though it was over ten years ago. There's I know. If you ever there. do find him, like let me know because I would, <laughs> I, I would like to talk to him. Yeah, at least talk. Like, like not saying like, "Hey, rekindle the flame." Like at least talk. No, you guys haven't spoken in like over ten years. Friend, yeah, as a friend. Yeah, it's been ten years. Why not get you know in touch with somebody that you were once engaged to and lived with for a year? I mean, that's a big deal. He it's likes not... to go off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I said at the very beginning of this podcast that, you know, when you Google Meredith Phillips, there's not a lot of material out there of you. Um, Very little about your season uh, in terms of video action. Um, However, there is one major story that I'm sure everyone, a lot of people are aware of because it was a major feature in People Magazine in in 2013. And I want to talk about it with you now. And... um, you were very open back then, and I'm sure you'll be open again because you've been about as open as you can get in this in this podcast. But I do want to mention, um, in 2013, you came out and uh, admitted that um, that you were an alcoholic. Um, at, at what point did this start? Do you think? Uh, I definitely started. I'm not blaming the show for any of this at all. Um, After my dad passed away, I had no idea how to deal with that because I was, what, 31? And I... Devastation is beyond belief. I don't know how to describe that to you when you when a daughter loses her dad who she's really and for those that don't know 
it's your dad died of a of a sudden heart attack. This wasn't something an ongoing illness that all of a sudden he passed. And this is it was two thousand nine, correct? Your dad died. That is correct, and he died suddenly. Yeah. Uh, he died in his sleep. My mom laid with him uh, that morning, and the ambulance came around, and she requested without lights. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. So when I got the phone call, I was on the next plane and crying the whole entire time. Alaska was great. Uh, Just water and wine and waters and wine. Were Were you drinking during the show? Well... Yes. Well, I mean, drink. Yeah, we all know that drinking is part of the show. But when you were the Bachelorette, did you find yourself, I don't know, getting past the point of where you probably should have been on any dates or at any point during filming, or did the did the really heavy drinking not start until two thousand nine? It started when my dad passed away. Okay. I mean, not the show. Yeah, that's for sure. No. So you had a boyfriend at the time that your dad. When your dad died, I guess his name, uh, from what I found, Fritz was his name? Yes. Okay, so you're dating Fritz. This happens. Your dad, your your father suddenly passes away. Um, I, I'm guessing that played a role in your breakup with Fritz? Um, I think that my drinking played a role in that for sure. Um because I couldn't handle my dad's death and I was unable to be my true altruistic self to anybody at that time. Yeah. And I was just trying to get rid of the pain, but that is definitely not the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, in... I think a year later, it's going on the timeline here, you reconnected with your high school sweetheart, Michael, and in 2010, you married him in 2011. How did that all come to be? How did you get in touch with Michael? Um, how did that happen? Um, I seeked him out because he was basically my high school sweetheart. I felt that at the time after my dad left this world that it was a good option and we had lost contact and it wasn't the best option that I chose after. Uh, so I I think it's fair to say that that relationship was kind of a a, a bit of a rebound, right? From your Definitely. From, from your dad's death. Um just like, hey, I'm going to go to somebody that I'm familiar with, somebody that yes. from my past and connect with them. Uh, so you marry Michael in 2011. Yes, sir. And then six months later, your mom is battling cancer and is hospitalized. And I see you. Yeah. Did now did the drinking 
pick up again after that, or was it just continuous? Like when you first met Michael and were with him, where were you at drinking wise? Um, definitely continuous. Okay. Was he aware um, of it? Definitely, and he was a partaker, so oh. that didn't really help. Yeah, no. Um, um, was he as so, bad? Was would, would he consider? Would you consider him? Would he consider himself an alcoholic? Yes and no. I mean, there's a fine line. Okay. There's functioning alcoholics, and then there's alcoholics. What were you? Functioning. Yeah. What were you doing at the time, work-wise? Uh, I wasn't working at the time. I. That's part of my. That that was part of the problem. Um. So when I realized that, okay. He's not bringing in the bacon, you know. He was, I think, working at Intel at the time, and I just, I literally, the pain was so much after my mom died that, and I mean, I'm still in my 30s. Yeah. That I just checked out for a while. What? You married Michael in 2011. When, after, how long after the your marriage to Michael did your mother die? Uh, he was there for her demise. So, after that, I would say six months. Okay. And I read, yeah. I read that the rock bottom for you was, <clears throat> you said your mother was dying in the hospital and you had moved back home to her place. And while she's in the hospital, you're at her house, basically drinking yourself to death. And you said at the time that you didn't care. Do you know, do you know why you didn't care? Um... Yeah, I do. Um, there was pretty much nothing left that I could see because my parents were everything to me. Yeah. And I woke up, though, and realized that they created a woman that is very strong and very prominent and I have to continue in this world. So, I mean, I don't know if you've lost your parents. No, I haven't. Okay. So, in the course of, you know, the span of when I lost my parents and how I lost my parents, yeah. my dad cheated on my mom. And that's how my mom died because who he cheated with gave her HPV, which turned into vaginal cancer. So oh. that is hard to speak of because. Uh, that's, I did not know that. I don't think anybody did. No, 
Mm. I'm a pretty private person. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. Um, so your dad died in 2009. Your mother dies in 11. Maybe it was early 2012. Uh, you obviously, as you said, felt like you just had nothing left. Um, you had a marriage, but it was a marriage that I don't think was going well because of you're both drinking and your mother is sick. Um, and your mother is sick because now we learned of something that your dad did. Um, when you're in the, yeah, go ahead. My husband at the time, like he was very, um, he was drinking and he would hit me. So there's that. More good news. Um, (laughs) okay. When did that start? Do you remember? Was it, are we talking frequent or are we talking not that, not that any, not that one, you know, 20 times is one time is just as bad as 20 times. But are we talking about this was an ongoing thing? Like you guys would both drink, you'd get in an argument and it would end up in a fight, like a physical fight. This was after I went to rehab. Yeah. And, um, this was after rehab. So. And your brother was the one that sent you to rehab and footed the bill for you. Correct. I paid him back handsomely. So how do you know that? I read it. It was part of the People article. Okay. Yeah, it was in the People. Uh, I mean, just reading it, it said, um, I can read you the quote. It said, um, during the two months of inpatient treatment, <coughs> Philip separated from her husband. You said, I needed to clear my head and focus on my recovery, but after a month on her own. Oh, wait, that was that was post um uh, basically family and friends grew concerned about your drinking. Your brother said, I realized I hadn't had a sober conversation with my sister in years, confronted her and helped set up and pay for a stay in rehab. That's what it said about Matt, your brother. So that's where I got it from. Um, uh, well, that is very true. Yeah. My brother is awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, family comes to you and wants to do something like that. But it can't be easy. I mean, because I don't know if you at the time were in denial. Like, no, I just, because you were a functioning alcoholic, you figured, hey, I'm getting through the day. I'm making it. I'm sure you didn't just be like, at the first drop of a hat, be like, yep, I'm going. Was there a fight put up? Were you like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, Definitely not a fight. I said, okay. Okay. Let's go. Let's go. And I, I left that night. Oh, well, good. Um. Yeah, just reading the quotes, you said, if I didn't basically stop, I knew this was going to end badly, and I didn't want to feel that way anymore. You go to the rehab center. After you get out, um, you go back to Oregon to rebuild your marriage, and you said that's when it started with the physical abuse? Yes, sir. You don't need to call me sir. Don't worry about that. Um, I don't know. (laughs) You can call me Steve. Um, So how did that all come to be? Was it just one night? It kind of burst out and then it became a well, pattern. He, he started with like, he would come home from work and he would bring beers home and I'm like, that's not cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He'll bring beers home. Um, and then because wine is my choice, obviously not anymore, but, 
um, fear seemed like, oh, that's a little bit easier and I won't get as drunk. But uh, it just ended badly with us. I am still friends with him today, which is odd. Very. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I still I do talk to him. He works for Tesla. He's like Elon's right hand man and I'm like Ooh, how did this come to fruition? So you were married for what? Two years and then it just couple years and you guys got divorced in 20 I guess 13 roughly yes and you were living when when you were married from 2011 to 2013 you guys were living in LA we were living in Portland only oh in my parents house oh that's right that's right okay yeah because you're you had moved when your mother got sick you had moved home okay I um, had moved home because of yeah okay so you're friends with him now. Okay. Uh, I know. It seems odd, like, do you hang out with him and I see him or you're just like in touch with him? I don't. He, I mean, he lives in what? Where's Tesla's spot? I oh. think it's what? Utah or something like that. Oh, I don't even know. He is his right hand man. So I don't know. I mean, he is a different person now, that's for sure. Still says he loves me, and I'm like, okay, I don't say that back, but... I would hope not. No, I don't. Is he sober? I uh, don't know. Hmm. I don't talk to him that much. Hmm. Are you? For the most part, I mean, on my days off, I do have a glass of wine or two and go have fun with friends, but I don't feel the need to, like, sit and drink a bunch of wine every night. Okay, so I mean, so, so since you've been, re since you got out of rehab in 2011, have you, have you ever tied one on and got really drunk? Sure. That... Can't be good. Yeah, right? of course. What's your point? No, I'm just saying that that's not good, though, right? Well, tying one on and then realizing the next day that that was a mistake. Yeah. You know. But we're we're we've moved past the the part of you know functioning alcoholic. You. Yeah. Okay. I definitely. When my parents passed away, it ruined me. Yeah. I mean, to, it still ruins me, but I don't use alcohol to change that anymore. It just makes me sad. When you were in rehab, was that like, I guess, what well, I guess my question would be, what was the biggest thing you learned in rehab? Because some people go to rehab and relapse the day they get out. And some people go to rehab and never have a sip for the rest of their life. Um, it obviously everyone's different. It's not. It's not rehab does not change everybody. Some people you hear stories about they've been in and out of rehab eight, ten, twelve times, and some people say it worked for them and they've never had a drink and they keep their sober pins and they get all those coins and whatever. Um, 
what would you say the biggest thing you learned in rehab when you were there? I learned that um, I'm a very good writer and I'm too smart for my own good. And I'm a very good listener. And like they always say, take one day at a time. But yeah. And I do tell my team that I work with today because I'm a sous chef Mm -hmm. that it is it's one day at a time because I do deal with ex-cons you know ex-drug addicts um so I just need to make sure that they're okay so there is a you know a correlation there that we can bond with and sometimes I have to fire people because you know what, if you're using, you're using. I've never been a drug person, never have been, not my thing. Yeah, that's good. No, not my thing. So, yeah, I wanted to let people know that, um, or I wanted you to let people know, like, what are you up to now? Like, what has been what has been your life for the last, I mean, I guess since the divorce happened for the last five years, just tell people what you've been up to. Uh, what I've been up to is basically living in Northwest Portland in a 1902 building, which is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. And I have a great landlord. I am the executive sous chef and... Now going to be head catering chef mm. this summer. Um, so I guess chefing is my <laughs> in my life. When you say sous, you said you're a sous chef, right? Yes. I'm not <clears throat> a cooking person. <clears throat> Excuse me, cooking person myself. Um, what what is a sous chef? What it like a sous chef is okay, so there's an executive chef and then there's the sous. So I work under my executive chef. Okay. Gotcha. So I'm number two. <laughs> number two. Gotcha. Number number two. Yep. You've been do and so you've been doing that for five years now? I have been there for a year now. Uh before that I worked um for another company, just doing line work, okay. which is, I haven't, a lot of people would say, why are you not doing modeling? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? But I just don't want to be notarized anymore. But I have a feeling from what I've told you that probably there's a possibility <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I have a feeling that people are going to want to hear from you after this. It's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay. One thing we didn't talk about was yeah. a while back, your cookbook, you wrote a book, a cookbook called, 
the date night cookbook, Romantic Recipes for the Busy Couple. You wrote this in, what year was this? Two thousand. What year was this written? Four, I believe. 2004? 2004 you wrote this? Yeah. So, oh, so right after you got off the show, basically. Or right after the show aired. Pretty much, because at the time I was going to culinary school and I met Fritz at culinary school. Oh, and gotcha. He he's he had eyes for me, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm still with Ian. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about right now, but no, yeah, like I'm still with Ian. So, and so that happened. The interchange happened pretty quickly ish. Okay, I got my own place in Santa Monica after the Ian breakup, which. I was not okay with, but had to happen. Yeah. And Fritz and I, we did for seven years. Oh, I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah, seven years. Almost common law, which it was almost common law because I'm, I'm glad for him that it wasn't common law because he had a lot of money and that's not my <laughs> I would never take his money and that the Fritz relationship was the one that ended basically right around the time your dad died because you just weren't there was no you had no interest in being in the relationship at that point because you were too just devastated by everything that happened right yes Gotcha. But the cookbook itself, um, the date night cookbook, romantic recipes for the busy couple. You can still get it on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so it's a lot of, do you remember what you wrote in it? Like just little things you can quick things you can whip up on Netflix and chill nights, basically. Um, well, I can grab my cookbook right now. (laughs) I mean, well, if you have it readily available, like what can what what can I make? Even though I don't cook, I do cook with um, Sun Basket. They send food to me. Uh, I I do use them. But um, in your date night cookbook, what are some of the the quick meals that people can whip whip up for a date? For a date, huh? Well. Well, your book says romantic recipes for the busy couple. So I'm just, I'm assuming it's for like date night when you can't go out to eat. You just want to make something at home and watch Netflix and chill. So what what do you got there? A little um, mac and cheese? How about Caesar salad with sourdough croutons? Because my croutons honestly are the best. Well, that would be a good one. That would be a good one if romaine lettuce didn't have E. coli in it right now. And uh, <laughs> eggs are—they have salmonella at the moment. So. Oh well, okay. Well, there goes the dressing for the Caesar. Um, isn't there? Uh, what else we got in there that doesn't have romaine lettuce? Because I don't want to get E. coli. Sorry. No, it's good for you. <laughs> cleans out, <laughs> cleans out your insides. Uh. It definitely will. <laughs> 
Uh, roasted chicken salad with beets and gorgonzola. How about something that's not a salad? Can we get it? Or is, something that's not a salad. Yeah, something that's not a salad that you can that I can make. That's very quick Potato to make. Potato leek soup. What soup? Potato leek. Okay, I can I can handle potato soup. I don't know what the leek part is, but whatever. Sounds chicken chile chile casserole. Oh, now we're talking. Now you're in my chicken paillard with parmesan and lemon. Oh. Now we're getting to. I would say that's that is the one that I would choose. Okay, the chicken pieard. I've had that at restaurants, so I'm guessing your little whip up is pretty good. Maybe I should try that. Yeah, it's really good. Maybe I should try that chicken pieard with 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 lemon. You said with parmesan and lemon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that was your book. Um, you can get it on Amazon, The Date Night Cookbook, Romantic Recipes for the Busy Couple. Even though it came out a long time ago, it's still available. Uh, <laughs> you can get it. I don't know if you still get residual. I'm assuming you still get residuals off that, right? Or no? Um, I don't, but oh. I'll talk to my my people. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. she... We'll figure that out. <laughs> well, I'm glad, uh, I, you know, back in 2011, in, in hearing you talk about this story and everything that happened to you, it obviously could have gone very bad for you. And I think you knew that at the time. Like, you, as the story said, you were drinking 20 bottles of wine a week. Like, that is that is an, an unheard of number. It's a crazy number to even think of. But it just shows how deep you were. You weren't just someone that was like, oh, just I like, I like having a few glasses when I get home. Like, no. You you were really self-medicating, I guess, is the way to put it. Um, well, I didn't want to feel pain, no. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, and that's a lot. And obviously, you were headed down a road that could have easily turned bad to where you, we, you and I are not talking right now. You know? Um, Correct. And I'm glad that you... And family got to you and that you just made the decision that this was something that wasn't going to happen to you and you were able to turn things around and now you're on your feet and I think that's great. And I I can't really thank you enough for, for coming on and sharing everything that you did, stuff that I'm still shook by and I'm sure you are as well. Um, like I said, I'm, you know, this is probably going to, make some news i would think um i would assume so yeah uh so i mean i'm i'm glad that i was able to find you and you know your name when i was reading amy kaufman's book bachelor nation i saw your name in there again and i was like oh there's someone from the past that i'd love to get on the show and um i'm i'm glad you were able to do it thank you for coming on sharing your story I'm sorry you went through everything that you did, but I'm happy Thank that it's you. out there. You know, I'm I'm happy that it's out there, and that I'm maybe happy can be that done. it's out there as well. Because I mean, as much as I don't want to talk about it or I didn't want to talk about it, it has to be out there. I mean, it was horrible, 
So, and I know that other people have other stories and if they can, you know, if they can correlate, you know, that, that helps. Yeah, it definitely would. And I, you know, this is something that obviously uh, hearing about this, and, um, you know, this is your side of the story. I'm sure, you know, I'm glad you shared it. And um, thank you. Uh, and thank you for like asking me all these questions because. <laughs> well, I almost feel bad now. I kind of like, <laughs> I just, I, I mean, I, I just didn't know that there was so much there. You know, I mean, the drinking thing was public. That was public knowledge. But this other stuff, I just, I, I didn't, there were three or four other things in this, in this podcast that I just did not, you know, I did not know. Um, but like I said, I, I, <laughs> it's just, I, I'm still kind of reeling from it, as you can probably tell. Uh, it, I can tell <laughs> by your voice. Yeah. You know, it's. You, what do you say to something like that? I don't. There's just nothing to say. I'm glad you shared it because that was wrong. Based on what you told me, that is not something that should have happened. And um, no, never. And I hope things change. So, Meredith, uh, I appreciate you coming on again. I can't thank you enough. And uh, good luck. Good, right. good luck with everything in the future. And uh, we will be in touch. Thank you, Steve. Well, that's Meredith Phillips. Thank you very much for her coming on and talking about that on this podcast. Um, probably wasn't easy to do. Uh, I applaud her for doing that. Uh, I really respect her for doing that. You know, the bottom line is I wasn't there. But I don't see any obvious reasons she has to lie about this. I have no reason to disbelieve her. I don't see what she has to gain by lying about something like that. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of reaction to what Meredith said, a lot of things that she said in this podcast, not even the stuff she talked about on set. All the stuff after that, the talk about Ian, the talk about Matthew, the drinking. And I've spoken to Meredith a couple times since we recorded this podcast last week. And, you know, the first time I'd spoken to Meredith Phillips was the day before we recorded the podcast last week. And I had never spoken to this woman in my life. And I had never, I didn't even know if she was still married or had kids. That's why I wanted to talk to her before we, I wanted to do a little prep before the interview, but I just wanted to ask her flat out, like, I can't find anything on you. Are you married or you have kids? And, you know, she gave me an update on, no, I'm, I'm not. And so I there's a part of me that in talking to her since then I you know I've I felt a little bit of a kinship here where I, I I like Meredith she seems like a really nice woman and you you heard it in the podcast where I questioned essentially why the drinking is still happening and um you know who am I to say that to her I you know I'm I'm I talked to her for the first time in my life last week but yeah, it is concerning, um, but I can separate the two. What she does, if that's what she chooses to do, that's what she chooses to do. I don't necessarily agree with it. However, that doesn't mean because she admitted that she still drinks 
that, oh, that must mean what happened 15 years ago didn't happen. You know, you can't, they're mutually exclusive of each other. So I just, I just don't see any obvious reasons she has to lie about this. I just, I just don't see what she has to gain. So, but I wasn't there. So it's, it's the best I, I can give you, but, um, I, I applaud Meredith for coming on and, and telling that and telling her story because I had no, really, really no idea it was coming. And, um, you know, I, I again, you you heard it numerous times in the podcast. There were a lot of awkward pauses. There were a lot of, there's a lot of dead air. Kind of like the Ari and Becca breakup. Like it was just, they kept the cameras rolling and they showed us everything. Well, you know, outside of a few things that I talked about in the beginning of the podcast that, uh, some things had to be edited to remove people's uh, names to protect their privacy. Everything else wasn't touched. This was 90 minutes pretty much straight straight through. And, um, yeah, there's a lot. And um, I'm sure you'll have a reaction. So thank you for listening. Thank you to Meredith for opening up. And please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. Also, Nell Coulter's X on the Beach recap coming up this friday you'll be getting that as well and i just thank you all for tuning in and listening and keep an open mind about everything is is really all i ask so thanks again to everybody i hope you enjoyed that and uh, we will talk to you next week see you